0: Father, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts that long for this text, for your text, for the book that speaks of you. Father, let us be overwhelmed with your presence. Father, let us be overwhelmed and not distracted by the things of this world, but be overwhelmed by your presence and lo, you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Father, as I look at this and as I uh, draw to this, I pray that we who are called by Your names will be overwhelmed by Your love. And that, Father, that love would pour through each and every one of us that we may have hearts as our Savior and Lord Jesus Himself had to Your glory and praise. Amen. I just want to look at this little <coughs> phrase here in verse 15. Now, I urge you, brethren, you know, the household of Stephanas and that they were the first fruits of Achaia. And that's kind of what I want to look at this morning. Okay, I had thought about doing the whole verse, but as I began to kind of peel this thing apart, I realized that um, there's a little more to this than just saying, you know, this church, evangelize. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've called this section, this text, the love and the fellowship. What is the church? And what does the church look like? And how do you know whether it's effective or not? Today we have some bizarre thoughts on what is the church and how does it look and what is successful. And yet I believe that the thing that is missing in the body of Christ today Is the expression of God's love, not man's love, God's love. And the reason that I say that is because we're trying to do things in the church that quote unquote manipulate this stuff. You know, if we have some small group meetings or if we have some, you know, satellite groups or if we have whatever phrasing you want to have, if we do enough social activities. I remember uh, years ago when I first came to salvation, the big thing was to have a multi, what is it, a multifunctioning functioning Worship center that you could you could have like worship time and volleyball and basketball. And, and when you bring all the people together, we're all going to be happy, joy, joy thing. Okay, uh, if you want to play basketball, the rec center, I highly recommend. If you want to play volleyball, you can do that at the rec center. But if you're really that into it, then let's get together. We can rent a school. We can all go play volleyball. You know, we're going to have cookouts. We got to have yada, da, 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 down the line. And one of the things that I've seen with that is that it doesn't bear fruit. If you think just drawing in bodies is the key to this, um, you and I have not read the same Bible to start with. And if that's what we're expecting, um, then, you know, let's just do big screen TV and free beer and hot dogs. And I bet we can get a crowd. They do it in Broncos season up at Mile High Stadium. I mean, they only get like 76,000 every Sunday. So and and yeah, and I mean, and they're sold out all the time. All right. So, you know, is that if that's what the purpose of the church is, uh, then we've got the wrong plan. And um, I think the Apostle Paul dealing with this church in Corinth had saw how the society had affected the church more than the church had affected the society. And yet he, in this 15 through 24, gives them eight things that as the love of the fellowship expands, this will be noticed. Okay, and here's one of the things I want you to think about. I think the thing that that is killing the church or well there's a lot of things a lack of the bible is probably first and foremost but one of the things is is that the love in the church is a man manufactured love which means that it's a man defined love and one of the things that you'll see in scripture about love love is not static all right uh love is is is, is is a doing thing. It is an action. All right. It it isn't verbal communication. Oh, I love you. It is. Sometimes love is never even spoken. It is just done. All right. First Corinthians 13. When you look at that text, love is what a verb. Okay. It's not a noun. I mean, and, and if you look at it, you know, we throw love out. Uh, you know, I love my dog, I love my grandma, I love my wife, and I'm thinking that them aren't all the same. There can be no love without an action. Okay? See, love is this doing thing. And here we see what love does. And that's in these eight points in your outline. Okay, now I want to be specific about this it, here. What love does? Some are implicit and some are explicit. And everybody goes, "What?" All right. Um, some of them are a direct statement, and some of them are an indirect thought. Okay, and, and it and it. But yet, when you look at this text, it gives us how how does love function? In the fellowship, when you think about the body of Christ coming together, okay, how does that love function? How do you see it? How is it manifest? If love is not static, if love is a verb, then it should be visibly something I can see. All right. Number one on your list is evangelism. Now, I urge you, brethren, you know, the household of Stephanus. And first fruits, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. All right? Love in the fellowship is evident through evangelism. You know what? I do not believe that a Christian needs to be taught how to evangelize. All right? I believe if you're truly saved, you should have an overwhelming passion to evangelize. Why? Because if you're truly saved, then you under the you understand emphatically the desperate nature of the lost. And there's only one way to get a lost person out of that desperate place. I mean there's all evangelism is the only thing that we can do better on this side of heaven. Evangelism is tough in heaven. Okay? It is just very difficult. But when it comes to worship, where can you worship better? Here or in heaven? Okay? When it comes to understanding and knowledge, is it here or in heaven? The only thing that you can do better outside of heaven is what? Evangelize. And now listen, I am not an evangelist. Alright? I love the text in Timothy where he says, do the work of an evangelist and that work Phrase there in the original language means strive at it, labor at it, it's hard, excruciating, and painful. You know what? For me to evangelizing it, it's hard, excruciating, and painful. Sorry. I mean, I can count on one hand a number of people that have been involved directly with their salvation. And it was <laughs> laborous. All right? But where there is love in the fellowship, there will be people reaching out to those who are lost. Okay? This is the implication of 15a. You see the phrase there, they were the first fruits of Achaia. Uh, but he says here, and, and it's it's funny, and it's and I want to try to clear this up. It says, Stephanus and the household of you know what that means? His whole congreg- grouping were saved. That would be his hus- the husband, the wife, the children, and all of the slaves. Employees were all saved. You know what that means, right? When Stephanus came to the point of salvation, it was such an impactful thing that everybody else just followed. What they saw was such a drastic contrast from his unbelieving days to his believing days that even his employees were saved. That's pretty fascinating. Fascinating. All right. But I want you to think about Stephanus. This man, Paul knows. In chapter one, verse 16, Paul said he baptized him. In chapter one, verse 17, Stephanus had come to visit Paul. Okay. Have you ever seen some politicians when they're speaking, they'll bring to attention someone sitting in the crowd. Because it's been brought to their attention that such and such is here, or such and such is here, or such and such is here. But the odds of them actually having a known relationship is probably minimal, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like in presidential speeches and stuff like that. They'll point out that soldier or this person or this whatever, all right? That ain't the relationship between the Apostle Paul and Stephanus. It was someone Paul knew, Okay. Stephanus was a believer, and the impact of the gospel had been so massive on Stephanus that his whole household had come to salvation. Okay, because Paul says that they were the first fruits of Achaia, right? Now, you've got to kind of keep this in mind. If you look at the Greek peninsula, okay, the bugger's cut in half. Okay, top half is Macedonia, bottom half is Achaia. Alright. And on Paul's, Paul taking forth the gospel, it had moved west into Macedonia. Remember the, the man in his vision? The Macedonian call, they refer to it. The man of Macedonia calling, bring us the gospel. Alright. and, and basically, if you look at Achaia, you look at Macedonia is the northern part and the southern part. And in the southern part, Achaia, there's two major cities. All right. One is the city of Athens and one is the city of Corinth. All right. Paul goes to both major cities doing the same thing. Preaching Christ and him crucified. Okay? and and, and I'll just kind of summarize it, but you can see all this in Acts 17. And it says that when he preached the gospel to all the great intellectual beings of Athens, it says a few of Athens believed. That's what the text says. Okay, but then he went from Athens on to Corinth and he was preaching Christ. And it says there that there were many who believed. All right. Now, when you read this first fruits of Stephanus, you you also need to understand that Crispus got saved. And Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. That's kind of cool. That's like getting bin Laden saved. All right, um, Gaius got saved. And Gaius is the one who housed Paul while he was there for a year and a half. See that in Romans 16, 23. But I also see Chloe's household, which would be the same thing as Stephanus' household. There were many others in this city who believed. This was a vibrant church. This was a numerically solid church. There were many people. So, what is Paul saying here? Well, was it Chloe's household was the first fruits, or was it Stephanus' household was the first fruit? Well, I, we miss it again because when we think of first fruits, we think that Jesus was the first fruits. But he was, that's a different term. That's Prototokos. That makes him the preeminent one. Okay, that, Jesus is the most important one. Okay. And then we see first fruits and we immediately think that, you know, well, if you're caught the Jewish mindset, then the first fruits is, I'm going to give all of them as an offering to God because that means God's going to bring in the harvest. Keep that in mind when you read this text. What does it say? This was the first fruits. What? This foundation that was laid in the church of Corinth is proof that God is going to grow a church in Achaia. And this is the foundation. This is the first fruits. That's God's plan. And first fruits is his guarantee that God will complete his plan. See, the first part of the crop came in, and if it was good, then it was a guarantee that the rest would be good. I was thinking about my wife, she's growing some corn and she planted some early, and they look really great. They're about that tall. And even with the crazy rain and things that just been beating the feathers out of everything, the, this kind of stand of corn looks pretty good. And then you got this second fruit, corn. And you kind of look at that and think, huh, it's like broadleaf grass. Okay, this looks like corn. We got robbed. But anyway, uh, but... <laughs> So, but I want you to think about it when you think about God and his first fruits. Okay, if the first fruits are good, what does that mean? The harvest is going to be good. And that's what he's saying here. There are other individuals who were probably saved before Stephanus. Perhaps he's referring to him because it was the first household that came to salvation. Or it's just a guarantee that the spirit of God is doing a work here. I look at the church in Corinth and I have to say that it is the spirit of God doing a work there. It is obvious that God was moving among these people. It is obvious that there were teachers being raised up from within. And it all lays on a foundation of these first fruits, these first individuals, which would be the foundation for this church. God is saying there will be a full harvest. I will have a church in Achaia. And that's why you see he was in Athens and then he went over to Corinth, but he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Why? There's a great harvest. God was working. There was a group was... Uh, this this group was the beginning of a foundationally strong church. And Paul says, you're reaching the lost. And you're doing it in a way that even in Stephanus' household got saved. What's being said, and, and the implication is the concept of evangelism. And it's like I just started with this message. That's the only thing we can do better here than we can do in heaven. Is reach the lost. And you know what? He's already bracketed this thing with what? Love. If you have the love of God poured in your heart, it should be coming out in such a way that you see the desperateness of the lost around you. This is tough in Kassarok. Most of the people in Kassarok believe they're saved. Just ask them. Yeah, but you watch them and you think, you're clueless. Now, you don't usually say that. I just say that to pastors. (laughs) Sorry. You know me. My bubbly, effervescent charm. I really think that part of doing all things in love even has to do with going somewhere and planting a church. You know, this church is responsible for 17 churches in the, the obelisk of Orel. We are directly responsible for 17 churches in the obelisk of Orel. But we did it the way the Bible says we go where the gospel has not been named. Okay, I have an opportunity on the board right now. That right now, I'm just in the process of praying about it and kind of forming my thoughts. They're wanting us to be involved in planning a church in Bozeman. Uh, if you've never been to Bozeman, um, it's an interesting place. Um, the church just doesn't take a foothold there. And, and when I look at it, there is a Catholic church in Bozeman. Uh, and then the rest of it is bars uh, with a college. Need I say more? All right. And they say, well, we need to get the gospel there. Well, yeah, (laughs) but good luck. (laughs) But then I look at Corinth and Thessalonica and think, you know what? I'd have never planted churches in those two cities either. All right. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go look for first fruit? For even maybe leading households? to the Lord, leading people to the Lord. See, if you think about it, the early church, and I'm talking about the first century church, um, expressed its love in its evangelism. And the church in Philippi, very poor, okay, in Macedonia, and yet they were behind Paul, lock, stock, and barrel, that they were sending him money and whatever he needed, wherever he was, so that the gospel would go forward. That's fascinating. One of the things that I have seen is that when churches just sit around and love each other, um, and that don't work because how can we show people in such desperate straits unless we get out there and carry this wonderful gospel to the world? Did I tell you about that guy that in Zemimfka? Um very small town, about 3,500. That's uh, where Alexander is, uh, the pastor that we support. And we, we remember we he, somebody had given him a house, and and we spent money and put a second floor on it and built some Sunday school classes on there. And uh, uh, they, they're just they're just struggling, and but yet there's enough people coming. This guy walked out at the the city uh, sign there on the boundary of the city for five years praying for souls. It took him five years before he ever saw the first fruit. Okay, and a young man, it's a great young man, he's got a Belarusian mo- motorcycle. And when I was there last time a year ago in May, um, he asked me to ride, if I wanted to ride his motorcycle, and you know me, <laughs> sure. And so I decided, I took off through town and, and rolled some circles around a statue of linen. Well, every town has a statue of linen. And he's either holding his hat or pointing or something. So I, you know, and I don't know the streets that well, so I stayed within my understanding. But when I did that, okay, I went back to the church, right? This guy followed me. Okay? And he had heard about this sect that was meeting in Zemimfka. And then he sees this yahoo. (laughs) Okay? I don't know, maybe I was riding on the wrong side of the road or something. I don't know. Okay, I don't think I was. I think England is the only one that does that. But anyway, um, he came into the church because he said, I could see in you a joy that I want. Okay, so he's sharing the gospel by motorcycles. You know, some people hand out tracks. (laughs) All right. Why is that? But then I found out that he had been hearing some of the message and some of this, and the the guy ends up saved. How's that? How is that? Because this little church, uh, this little church has a passion for evangelism. They want their whole town saved. I have watched this church. I've preached there a couple times on Wednesday nights, and they want men saved. All right. It's mostly women, babuskas, grandmas. And they. if a man comes to the church, a group of women will get up and go outside because they've only got enough seating for who they have. And they'll get outside and they'll open a window so they can hear the message, but that the man will have a place to sit. Why? Because they want to see men get saved. We could probably learn for that. I know, as hot as it is, I hard to go outside. <laughs> I'll stand under the shade tree, talk louder. That's how the early church expressed itself. We get complacent, I think. When the churches just sit around, it's tough for us to get people to believe that we love. If we really love the way God loves, if we really love the way Paul loves, if we really love the way that... The, church, the early church loved will be out touching the lives of people who are in desperate need of hearing the message of Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul did. The early church was busy planting churches in other places. The early church was busy winning souls because that is how Love works. I want to show you a church, a church that's always fascinated me. I I love this church tremendously. First Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica, chapter 1, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love. Listen, the Apostle Paul had heard how their love was laboring. How do you know that? How, what would he hear that would tell him that the church in Thessalonica was laboring in its love? For the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be? You became what? imitators of us and of the Lord having received the word in much tribulation and with much joy so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia their love was so working that the Greek peninsula knew that the love of God was in the church at Thessalonica how did they do it? they took the word out for the Lord of the Lord has sounded forth from you Not only from Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. They took what the Apostle Paul had told them and they echoed it everywhere they went. They were motivated and they were going to do it and you were not going to shut them up. They were already under persecution and yet the word was going forth even more. That's how they knew that the love of God was their laboring. Their love involved the sounding of the word, and even to this day, you and I get the echo. <laughs> their testimony was known all over the civilized world. That God had turned them from idols to the true living God. But that love was but that came because it was born in love. The church was born in love. Paul took it there. They ran him out of there. They'd taken Jason prisoner threatening to kill him if Paul and his people didn't leave. Because this church was born in love, they came out aggressively sharing that love with the world. A few months, their testimony sounded forth. I believe that where there is love in the fellowship, the natural response is evangelism. And when you have that love sounding forth and evangelism moving out because of that love, then you have this fresh, vital, exciting dynamic that goes on that just stirs everybody. See, the love in the church will manifest itself to a lost world that is in desperately need of the love of Christ. You have the answer to all that ails the world. And you should be desperate to get that out there. That which is done in love will show first fruits someplace. You know, uh, people... I shared with you that, you know, I have actually five people that God has given me the privilege of drawing them into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now I know God did it and I understand all of the dynamics. But you know what's amazing about the five people that I have been involved in, God's work in their heart? Do you know none of the five have ever, quote unquote, backslidden? None of them. They are all in different churches serving faithfully even to this day. They have an overwhelming passion for the body of Christ. They have an overwhelming passion for the book of Christ. They have an overwhelming passion desperately to meet people and share with them where they were and where they are and how those people can get there. And you know what? I didn't do that. It's like I said. I have to do the work of an evangelist. Another text that I think is important is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Depending on your translations, chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ, the New American Standard Translation says, controls us or compels us. It means that I am obsessed... having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. But he says in verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Why? Because of the love of Christ, it controlled Paul. See, Paul, the evangelist, was motivated by love. Listen, if you look at it from that verse right there, this is not something you and I can generate. It just, just isn't. The Spirit of God generates this when you what? Walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5. You do not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. You if you walk in the spirit. Why? If you walk in the spirit, fruit of the spirit is singular. What? Love. Out of love comes peace and gentleness and joy and self-control and all the rest of it. But the first thing is fruit of the spirit is what? Love. He produces the love. And you and I direct that love to the lost interesting, isn't it? Listen, I can illustrate this probably the best by the Apostle Paul himself. If you look at Romans chapter 9, you will see this manifested in the life of the Apostle Paul. Okay? Chapter 9 beginning in verse 1, but I want to bring back to your attention this man Paul. Okay? Paul calls himself the chief persecutor of the Church of Christians. He was the number one hater of the way or of the church. To the Jews, he was their key man. He was a great teacher. He was a great persecutor. He was a leader and the greatest defender of Judaism. He was on his way to Damascus to kill and arrest Christians. That was his idea. And then, boom, comes back preaching Christ. I would say that the Jews were shocked right out of their sandals. They didn't understand it. So when Paul came along to the Jews and said, I really love all of you people. you who are in Israel, I really, really care for you. You know what? They didn't believe him. I mean, if you really think about it, he was a people without a people. The Jews hated him. Christians like, "Hell, dude, he arrested my uncle Bob. All right. So <laughs> I'll make you apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul wants to convince them that he loves them and it's unconditional and he confirms this love in four ways here in this text. Look at it. I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Stop right there. He co- four ways he confirms his love. One, his own merit. I'm not lying. Two, his conscience. My conscience bears witness. Okay. Three, I'm saying this in the truth of Christ. Christ is my witness. Four, I also bear witness in my conscience to the person of the Holy Spirit. So basically what he says there in verse one is, I really mean what I'm saying. My own commitment, I say it in agreement with my conscience, in agreement with the Holy Spirit, in agreement with Christ himself. What I'm going to say, please believe me. What does he say? Verse two, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Verse four. Verse three. I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't, can't cut that thing any other way to say that is a love... That is amazing. I don't care who you are, you will not generate a love like that. Only God generates that love. I wish myself accursed if it meant your salvation. Who? Israel. Israel. It it was that love tearing at Paul's heart, it gave him a heaviness. It drove him like a man on a vendetta. He wanted to touch everyone he could with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's chained to Roman soldiers in his first imprisonment 24 hours a day. That poor buggers changed to the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. <laughs> he had an intense urging. Now you think about that. I wish myself... Cut off from Christ. Would my people be saved? Think about that. And the basis of that is love. Listen, I had some quotes here that I wanted to give you. Quote, evangelism is the sob of God. Evangelism is the anguished, anguished, Cry of Christ over a doomed Jerusalem. It was the call of Moses. Oh, this people have sinned. Yet now you will forgive them. If not, blot me out of the book. We've missed this. We have missed the desperateness of our beloved, of our co-workers, of our neighbors. We have missed this. We have missed this of the people that God brings into our lives on the precipice that they hang on, that their eternal damnation is before us. And we just kind of cruise. I'm ready to go to heaven now. I think about John Knox he got on his knees weeping bitterly and made this profound statement, give me Scotland or give me death. I see it in the cry of the Apostle Paul. The weeping of parents at an unsaved child. And as our children get older and older and they continue to turn their back on the person of Christ, how much greater is that grief? You know what? I think we need to ask God for that kind of love. Listen, Romans 5 tells us what? The love of God has been poured into our heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's there. It's already there. And God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. How are you doing with that? His love has been poured into your heart. Would you give up your child for the salvation of another soul? It's in us. And my prayer is, may that love come from us. Sort of like God poured His love in there and I put it in a safety deposit box. Then I forgot where I put the key. I think we give up too easy. Anybody here shared their faith and got rejected? How many times did you reject Christ as he tapped at your heart and he never gave up? It's easy to give up when they resist the gospel. But I have asked myself this question does that betray the thinness of our love? You know, I've had people tell me that I, you know, I've prayed for it. I'm still praying for them. I haven't stopped. They don't want your gospel. That's what they told me. I don't want your gospel. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your religion. I don't want anything you're doing. But I thought for sure I read someplace That love bears all things. I could have been wrong. Or wait, was it in the letter to the Corinthians? It couldn't have been. We desire to see a harvest. I've seen you guys. We we desire to see a harvest. We love seeing a harvest in another place. Think about the guy. I think his name is... Igor, who came to salvation because I'm riding a motorcycle around Statue of Lenin. We like to see a harvest. But you know what? Were we there when Alexander for five years prayed every day at the city borders that God give him salvation to Zemimka? I never prayed for a city every day. I prayed for a city once and they don't repent. I'm moving on. But I haven't been sent to Nineveh yet. See, when people come to salvation, who gets the glory? Anybody here want to see God glorified? When there is love in the fellowship, there is evangelism as a result. That is very clear. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to reach the lost. Father, help us to love as You have loved. Father, help us with this love that You have poured poured inside of us. May it pour through in such a way that we are overwhelmed. And I I just ask You, Father, that um, beginning with me, that I remember the desperateness of the lost and that father, it is only through you and you alone that we have any ability whatsoever to even reflect you. And yet you've already told us that we are being transformed from glory to glory in the image of you. Father, help us help us to see the desperate desperateness of this age of this time and yet father help us to also understand the privilege that you have placed us here for such a time as this father there is a harvest and yet father there is a hardness of the ground and there's a hardness of heart it is all around us father let not our love let not my love be thin the father May we, even as the Apostle Paul, wish ourselves accursed for the salvation of souls. Father, may we, as John Knox, give us our community, give us death. Father, let us be about Your task with a zeal and anguish that there are so many who do not know You Father, we have an overwhelming passion to reach to the lost in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.